So looks like we got a full crew tonight. Uh, Dan, Alex, myself, Dave, and Blunty. Welcome, oh, everybody. Alex, when did you sneak in? What do you mean? Oh, looking at my other five screen. seconds ago. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've been in here since nine o'clock. That's funny. All right, let's see. Let me go back. Yeah, let me make sure I grab the right thing. All right, so being that this is going to be in my hometown this year, uh, not more than. 10 miles from my house. So you're uh, going to be doing a lot of flying this weekend? Is that what you're saying? Uh, from your backyard? No, not at all. Well, it wouldn't be better than watching the game. <laughs> wow. Wow. So, uh, um, yeah, so Super Bowl is obviously this weekend uh, here in Glendale. Um, just outside of Phoenix. So um, there's some very uh starting tomorrow tfr is going to affect uh covering downtown phoenix uh for the nfl experience as well as the day of the game obviously around uh state farm stadium uh so folks in my local communities don't be that guy um take note of the tfrs uh and uh make sure that uh if you're flying, you have permission to, and uh, just don't risk it. Um, there's a lot of uh, focus on uh, an event like this. Um, so, uh, yeah. Uh, so it starts, uh, actually, I have the notum here pulled up. So it starts uh, February 9th, um, and it goes from 1 o'clock in the afternoon to seven o'clock in the morning daily all the way through the 12th um and that this is just covering downtown phoenix and then if i go back to the list uh there's another one here specifically for uh the stadium during the game um in case anybody was wondering what a TFR looks like, if you haven't gotten in, this is generally what they look like. They give you all the information, the dates, the times, uh, the GPS coordinates, um, and all the specific instructions down below. Um, you can click on these sectionals here, and you can... Uh, doesn't give you a ton of information. It's more a picture, but uh, each one of these little red circles is for something different. Um, and it will generally give you information if you go onto the TFR map and you zoom in uh, into the map here. So this little circle, for instance, this covers uh, February 17th. This is an air show out in Buckeye, Arizona, which isn't very far from me either. And then you can see Glendale um, on the 12th here uh, covering the stadium. So you can kind of get some information here as well as any of the TFRs that are up and coming uh, starting from 2.6 uh, or sorry, some of the ones that are in the past uh, to look at uh, past TFRs. So as well as anything coming up. So uh, yeah, if, don't be that guy. Don't if fly. you want to see it in a little easier to digest format, fire up something like a loft. Um, mm -hmm. I forget if they show those ahead of time. Sometimes they might, but definitely during the active TFR, it shows on the, the loft yeah. on the map yeah. where you're at and you can touch it and it'll tell you why you can't fly there and everything. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I just wanted to show folks what the what a TFR actually looks like um, so that uh, if you ever uh, 
do need to go in here and now you got a little bit of background to kind of sort that out so yeah the user interface there definitely goes back in time a little old <laughs> yeah I, this could definitely use some updating but you know it's it's the faa so you know at oh, a snail's pace right wasn't there oh that that's the note no tam system but i mean yeah, yeah. same same sort of thing but yeah that didn't they just recently say that there's a plan to update that, but it's going to take till 2030? <laughs> I thought, gosh, I should have found that article. I thought I saw something about that. And they didn't yeah. mean 8.30 at night? That was... <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, sorry. That's, uh, I should I mean, see if I can find that. Yeah, that would be good information. But... Yeah, yeah but I bet they. I bet they have their backup systems figured out. Yeah, they. <laughs> Bloomberg. Well, lots of places talk about it. Yeah, they. The air traffic code won't be fixed until twenty thirty. Wow. Jeez. Yeah, <laughs> if you search like FAA NOTAM update twenty thirty, you'll find <laughs> articles from yesterday about it. So yeah, it's a it's a pretty large area. Um, is it effectively thirty miles bits? Um. Well, that's oh, a good yeah, question. Go. There's a question in the in Discord. Isn't uh, the Super Bowl in Arizona a covered stadium? It is a covered stadium, but the uh, roof point. does open. The roof does open. So all I have to do is open the roof crack, and the FAA has authority. <laughs> very good. Very good question. Well, I would guess even if there was a completely closed roof stadium, there would still be a TFR about flying above it. Oh, yeah, above sure it, absolutely. Stadium opens. Yeah, I'm not going to be the one to say, yeah. yeah let's so, let's try to get someone inside. Yeah. No. Yeah, let's see. So if it is closed, then you can fly it indoors. Well, that's what I was, that's what I yeah. took the... Yeah, game. that is it. All right, that's clever. Yeah. Yep, so the roof does retract onto the sides here. Um. So. This should be an interesting thing. So stay safe, everybody. Stay stay legal. Uh, that's all I have. So this has kind of been making uh, the waves lately. <laughs> um, the toroidal, am I saying it? Toroidal. Toroidal. Uh, propellers. Um, a noise-killing game changer in air and water. So uh, <laughs> didn't you all start with don't be that guy? And now we're thinking of ways to be that guy. There you go. <laughs> A hundred percent. Don't be that guy. Don't go around that. Twenty nine point nine nine miles away. All right. Oh no, no. <laughs> That's awesome. So uh, these have been making the waves ever since uh, this article came out. Uh, that uh, about toroidal uh, propellers. I've seen a lot of three D printed propellers. Um, I've seen uh, people creating these and uh, getting uh, some interesting results with them. So uh, it says propellers are designed to take a fluid, generally air or water, and use rotating motion to push that fluid through. Um, their evolutions, in a sense, from the Archimedes screw, which was likely used in ancient Egypt for thousands of years before it was described by Archimedes uh, in 234 BCE. Um, 
So we're fascinated to find a couple of groups claiming they've demonstrated significant advantage in both air and water using markedly different shapes, specifically strange tisted, twisted toroid ring shapes that appear not to be only, uh, which appear not only to be much, much quieter than traditional designs, but so much more efficient, particularly in the marine space that they could mark a profound leap. Um, one key issue with multi-copter props is their annoying noise, which is often described to as whiny because much of it sits right in the same frequency range as a baby's cries. Never put those two together. <laughs> so the next time you go fly and someone complains about it, say, that's just, just a baby's crying in the sky. <laughs> <laughs> Grandfather Dave. My grandson uh, is not... Is not noisy. Does it sound like a quadcopter. No, he's just he's just a happy little Gotta guy. Gotta hover right next to him. He's incredibly happy. That's awesome. Humans tend to be most sensitive to sounds between 100 hertz and 5 kilohertz. This makes evolutionary sense. It's where we hear vowel sounds that are key to verbal communication. But it's a key issue if multicopters are going to fulfill their potential and fill our skies with fast, cheap, clean aerial delivery services. So Alex, do you have a do you have a, a view on this? I mean, in you know, with water, it's a non-compressible fluid, and air, it's a compressible fluid, and you know, the people are talking about similar shapes, and it's like uh, I'm struggling that uh, that you know this even a remotely similar shape would be effective in a non-compressible to a compressible fluid. Um, I just think that. It's going to have its use cases more specifically. It's not going to be as broad of a use case. Mm -hmm. But I also haven't taken the fluids class yet, so I can't <laughs> speak on that half. Yeah, I think the from a, a mass uh, mass moment of inertia perspective, the uh, you know, these things are not going to spin up as quickly. So you know, the uh, that will be a uh, you know, acceleration will be attenuated a little bit. I'll be curious when some company actually makes some decent models. Um, I know a lot of people have 3D printed their own and tested them, mm -hmm. but yeah, HQ props or somebody come out with a real version of it and see how that compares. Yeah, people were saying because of the shape of them, it'll be difficult to, um, to actually be able to get them yeah, to be injection molded. It's probably going to have to be just SLA or something like the MIT props were. And then I don't know if it'll be mass producible in the same way for the same cost as another prop. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about from a perspective. You know, we talk about, oh, you know, why don't they just injection mold? I mean, even with today's 3D printing, injection making an injection mold is a non-trivial effort. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. So I'd be interested to see in terms of efficiency uh, what they produce. I mean... So two two things. I mean, drone delivery, great if you've got that going. But, uh, but at the same time, uh, things like Cinewhoops and long like long flying platforms in terms of things that need to stay in the air uh, consistently, uh, how it affects. But they've got some graphs here mapping out the noise reduction from basically utilizing DJI standard props and wingtips versus the toroidal. Um, but in terms of length of flights and power used, I think that would be an interesting thing too. Um, especially like Cinewhoops and or yeah, Cinewhoops and and that kind of thing where you're operating close and around people. This could definitely be an interesting 
you know, uh, choice. Uh, and in the Beyond Visual Line of Sight arc, um, they brought in when we had a, a whole section from the first half of the uh, BV loss or first third of the, the effort was, a, and one of the sections was on environmental concerns. And the number one concern for manned or crewed aircraft is noise. And so they brought in the NEPA person and she was great. She was very helpful. And so it was, so I, we started doing some research on uh, what's going, what's state of the art in terms of quieter drone props. And there is a fair amount of academic work going on. So it's, uh, mm-hmm. eh, so I, I think Josh is on, on target. And uh, I agree with Alex that there are use cases where this is going to be really, uh, really important. Well, I could and totally, certainly totally see something like um, a Cinelifter filming something where mm-hmm. the audio could Around be annoying or, or you're flying a drone chasing some sporting event doing a live feed and there's people around that don't want to hear the drone noise as much. So minimizing that yeah. might be worth a performance decrease if that's the case. Absolutely. Right. I'm also right. curious of what the um, impact, like the lacerations are like mm-hmm. from yeah. that yeah. shape, because instead of like, instead of a full blade, it's a little, it's sort of like it goes to a point, a blade yeah. it's a little rounded and some of them you could modify. So it's just a ring around it. So it mainly just be a frictional. Yeah. So, so you it almost have just a built in. It just punches yeah. you around. <laughs> Yeah, that's a like good point, little, Alex. I like the thought. Yeah, like those little toy discs where you spin them and they just launch yeah. up. Yeah, or we used to have the ring around them and saucer, uh, yeah. plastic little saucer shooters. Yeah, back when yeah, you yeah. know, back when I was good OE comment one. from <laughs> bits bites. Instead of cutting, it seems like these props would be more of push things, push things or stuff out of the way. Good point. Yeah, I like the thought of an inbuilt uh, kind of prop protector. That's a thought for sure. Unless some it good... shatters on contact. We got some good comedians in the, <laughs> in the chat. <laughs> yeah, I had one of those. I had a prop do that two weeks ago. I was like, what happened? Oh, I've had HQ, like the old old school HQ, oh, the OD, yeah. the, yeah. the glass fiber ones. Oh, man, yeah. those, like, you breathe on them funny and they fun. I was glad. I was glad. I was, you know, my requisite setback distance. <laughs> I still have a bunch of those. OG per per my H- safety guide, our our safety guidelines. Right. All right. So the next uh, and and last article for today uh, is going to be from SUAS News. Um, so let's see. I, I I saw this. I glanced at it. Uh, so Airmoto is a new instant drone insurance app that allows unmanned aircraft system operators to purchase either hourly or annual policies to suit their growing business or hobby. The app, both available on iOS and Android platform, provides options to buy insurance for a single drone, a fleet, or add multiple pilots, and purchase the add-on, uh, purchase on-the-spot insurance with policy document is generated and sent via email once operators have made their payment. Uh, Airmoto has partnered with the drone industry's most recognized uh, provider of professional training and safety services, the Unmanned Safety Institute. All policies purchased on Airmoto's app accumulate safety points, which can be used with USI. Um, Looks like this is going to be uh, recreational, uh, at least options for recreational. This is something, obviously, we'll have to dig into to see if this is another 
option for drone insurance out there. Um, so it says the fun and excitement associated with recreational drone use or the enormous value proposition derived from commercial UAS operations can disappear in an instant in the event of an incident or accident. Even with today's UAS becoming more capable and sophisticated, risk management re remains the responsibility of every operator. We worked with Airmoto to provide an incredibly wide selection of safety-related products and services that can elevate an individual's pilot's knowledge and skills to enhance organizational commitment to safe and effective and efficient operations. So um, this would be something to look into. Uh, it's it's difficult to find uh, insurance companies that will insure recreational pilots. Um, right. it, it's something we looked into when we first started the FPVFC. Uh, we found one uh, after talking with uh, several different companies, um, but uh, yeah. and Mead, Mead mentions you know good. I like his skepticism. I can only imagine imagine how abusive that policy probably is. On the spot insurance for aircraft sounds downright sketchy, uh, or it would be a very narrow range of coverage. And mm -hmm. the company that Josh is referring to that we found uh, has been around now for six seven years, years skywatch.ai i think is their mm -hmm. uh, website and people like it and it's uh, it is uh, billable by the hour uh, or up up to you know full you know around the clock whatever you want and it, uh, it it's reputable and it was uh, a company that figured out that they could uh, calculate the actuarial probabilities better than uh, other folks and this was a, a niche that they could uh, jump in into and they did so now skywatch appears to have a competitor we'll see yep. it would be interesting to know is there another larger insurance company underneath airmoto mm -hmm. 100 percent. nothing more ruthless ruthless than an insurance agent with an actuarial table. yeah if only they knew what the an actuarial table is, is about <laughs> So yeah, definitely uh, something interesting. So anyway, that's all I have for the news tonight. Uh, Dave, uh, what do there, what do we got going on with? There was an article oh. on um, Senate three hundred seven, I believe. Mm -hmm. There's a bill that was uh, proposed today. Uh, I sent you an email on it. Oh, Josh. I missed it. That's Sorry. okay. And uh, so this one is quite interesting. And uh, it, it had its uh, moments of levity. Um, AUVSI is um, uh, the private, uh, not, in, not in sponsors, the wrong word, but they are an advocate uh, of this bill. And it appears that the bill, uh, at first glance, is uh, they, that they're trying to get Congress to pass a bill that will mandate to the FAA that they that the FAA within six months publish a notice for public rulemaking on uh, airworthiness of aircraft performing beyond visual line of sight, and these are specifically small UAS, so uh, above 0.55, below 55 pounds. So this is uh, curious, and we'll see what happens, and we'll see if it uh, if it goes anywhere. Uh, the fact that it came up on the floor in the Senate is uh, significant, and uh, AUVSI is uh, uh, has a significant amount of push, 
they're well funded. There's the there's the bill. So we'll see if this uh, if this goes anywhere. This was uh, forwarded to me today, and uh, it's the sort of thing that we uh, we're interested in. This is a good um, a good segue to. Uh, we had a conversation with uh, two congressional staffers, and uh, if uh, anyone has been involved in how legislation made at the federal level in the United States. Uh, lobbyists and staffers are the people who write the uh, the bills, and so chances of finding intelligent staffers or intelligent lobbyists are pretty high. So we lucked out to uh, delightful young people we got a chance to talk to, and we as uh, FTCA and FPVFC, so Flight Test uh, Community Association, and us, and uh, we've got a, uh, some follow-ups. And our, as we mentioned, I think two weeks ago, our objective is. We will continue to refine input to the 2023 FAA Reauthorization Act, and we will uh, put that up on our website and encourage uh, folks to use the utility that uh, uh, Josh was uh, working on this past weekend, which allows you to identify if your congressional representative or senator is on one of the two aviation subcommittees, and then uh, you know, click through and send uh, some comments. And so unlike a notice for public rulemaking, copy and paste works with uh, con uh, Congress because uh, it shows, oh, you know, people are interested and it's a, a check mark and they keep a tally. And so that could be uh, very helpful. And so we'll likely do that. Uh, and uh, we we have to refine. We're, we're all scurrying to do some research and figure out some uh, a small number of requests that could be uh, have the most uh, benefit uh, to us uh, in a uh, 2023 FAA Reauthorization Act. The other key element, and we've been trying to figure this out, is what is the schedule that this act is on? And so, of course. Schedules in Congress are an anathema, so it's highly, you know, probable that it will change. But you know, the fact that we've we're talking to the people who are writing the bill, and the the calendar they are on, is they want the bill out of the House by July of this year. So it's not and too late. And so it's not too late. So we've got some time to do this. And so that and as we've mentioned in the past the 2023 FAA reauthorization act is both bicameral and bipartisan very unusual for these uh, for the reauthor FAA reauthorization act so there will be a senate version of the uh, of the act and then so the house if they make their schedule end of July that then they will meet up with there will be a conference of senators and Congressional representatives that will meet, that will adjudicate or rationalize and come up with a uh, a single uh, piece of legislation that will then have to be voted on by uh, both chambers uh, again. So, like like we've said in the past, isn't it great? You come to these meetings, you get a civics lesson. <laughs> so, so and, this uh, is this is important to us. I see Josh has brought up our website where we've got the House committees mm -hmm. and Senate committees. And down at the bottom, we used to have something you could copy and paste for um, some previous suggestions we had, but I'm get, we're still working on what we would like people to be able to use uh, to send in. And hopefully we'll fill that in on the bottom of that page really soon. Yep, 100%. Yeah. And guys, the uh, each one of these is 
these are subcommittees that are responsible for different things, but a lot of these uh, kind of cross over into having authorization or having responsibility over the FAA in some form or function, right? So right. Um, the transportation and infrastructure, the House Subcommittee on Aviation, you've got appropriations. These are the people with the purse strings that, uh, that fund these regulatory industries or uh, organizations, Agencies. sorry. Uh, yeah, these are agencies. Yep. Yeah, hundred um, percent. So both for the House and the Senate committee. So all these have been updated to current, uh, which uh, they've been quickly selecting people to serve on these subcommittees, with the exception of the one on science, space, and technology. Uh, for the House, uh, as of last weekend, they had not updated or they had not selected committee members that I could find. So that will be updated soon. So the ones that are in here. Are a little old so and here's the thing guys a lot of these positions unless these guys are gone they don't change a whole lot right um, yeah because they like the chair is a an air force pilot you know in a former life right. so hopefully they get people who are knowledgeable and as i say the the staffers who uh we we talked to this week as well as staffers in the past these are really sharp uh people and so it's uh you know if you're if you know if we're all a little dubious of uh, one political individual or another, but the it's this it's you know young staff that are getting things done. And here's the here's the thing to think about, and this is something we discuss kind of internally as well is something like the reauthorization act. Despite political leanings, um, the fact is that I I would say that that depending on what's going on politically, the Congress and or the the Congress and the and the House, or sorry, the House and the Senate would be more likely to shut down the government than they would be likely to shut down the FAA. Um, because as we saw recently what happened when with the uh, shutdown of flights due to uh, a coding errors, um, that caused a massive amount of chaos. So um, just... Think about that for a second. Right. So, and we do recall that in 2018, on the Senate side, the votes were 100 to zero for the FAA reauthorization. And of course, it is it is much larger, as Josh is saying, than just UAS. It's all traffic control, anything having to do with the FAA. It's the entire mm -hmm. agency. So uh, uh, Meats has a, a comment. He uh, did a quick scan of the Senate bill, and he said it looks pretty sane. And you know, my remark on uh, on the comic aspect of it is that i agree that it looked it looked sane and uh, the, the the comic with the exception of that they were stipulating that the faa produce an nprm with a notice for public rulemaking within six months and so we know that the remote id uh notice for public rulemaking took three and a half four years mm -hmm. uh part 107 was a 10-year process so six months, that's what, it, uh, however, that said, if you're following what's going on with Amazon Prime Air from the UAS uh, organization, 80% of their organization has been laid off. So that's really unfortunate. Um, and they're, the Amazon spokespeople are pointing to one of the major reasons that they have had such difficulty getting off the ground, if you'll forgive the pun, was because of the FAA's um, difficulty in authorizing type certification uh, BB loss uh, aircraft. 
So this bill goes directly uh, at that issue. Yeah, 100%. All right. What else we got, Dave? Uh, we had, uh, you got, well, I wasn't a part of it, but you guys had a, a meeting uh, that you guys attended with the FAA on Frias, right? We Safe did. to say we had a disappointing meeting with the FAA on Frias. <laughs> yeah, we're, um, uh, we've, we will likely Friday morning do a joint uh, FTCA, uh, FPVFC uh, video. It'll be uh, uh, Dan and me, I think, on the FPVFC mm -hmm. side. And um, we were, um, so the, the meeting with the, uh, the, we asked for uh, a meeting because we asserted that the, uh, the free application system was not functioning. And uh, we suggested that the FAA get a number of the CBOs together. And so it was positive. It took six weeks for us to schedule the meeting. That's not good. Uh, but it is good that we had absolutely the right people on the phone call from the FAA side. And we had all four community-based organizations, STEMC+, AMA, Flight Test, Community Association, and us. Oh, that we should um, just throw out there that there is a fourth CBO now. I don't think that yes. existed from our previous meeting. Good point. Yeah, STEM plus C. STEM yeah. plus C or STEM, mm -hmm. I think that's, I, I keep thinking STEM C plus, and I'm thinking C plus plus, but it's, it's the other <laughs> way around. So. Yes, dating myself, I know, Alex, it's not Python. Um, I don't teach a Torch. Python class yet. No. <laughs> I still teach a C. Oh my gosh, really? Oh yeah. my word. Wow. C and Java. Wow, how interesting. Uh, so, um, we had a list of uh, questions that we wanted the uh, FAA to answer. Uh, and we approached this um, situation with uh, upbeat and a, a productive uh, mindset. And... Um, uh, we were uh, not, not impressed. A couple of the things that they told us were that uh, they anticipate the total number of Frias in the United States to be approximately 4,000. Let that sink in. So if you calculate the, the number of uh, UAS in the United States as per the FAA is 1.51 million right now. If you figure... Figure a club gets together. Let's say let's say twenty people. We'll be conservative. You know that's to me that's large number. But divide one point five one million by twenty. How many frees would you need? I think the answer is around seventy nine thousand. So the FAA is contemplating four thousand. So we're they're a little off. Um, just by you know. Thumb, th wet, wet thumb in the air uh, calculations. The AMA has two thousand six hundred fixed sites, so they the AMA will want all two thousand six hundred of theirs approved. The FAA also has no uh, service level agreement in terms of a turnaround time when uh, an application for a free is submitted. Uh, how how long will it take for them to respond? They're not saying. They estimate that each approval will require four months. 4,000. Four months. I think we're into the next millennia. 
<laughs> so this isn't, and it was, it's our calculation and estimation based on the conversations that uh, we had with the FAA that they have not yet started processing the applications. So 4,000 total. This comes into play September 2023. Don't think we're going to make it. So in addition, they said the, that the objective of the remote ID rule was to optimize the, the number of UAS transmitting remote ID broadcast. So I... So what I about what, what about safety and security? Like, that's, that security. was the question I asked. I said, I thought that the objective of that rule was safety and security. And of course, it should have just been safety, but it's safety and security. But told by one of the people who was active in writing the rule, the objective is to maximize the number of UAS broadcasting RID. So um, we will... Uh, we will articulate uh, the points that uh, uh, that we're putting together appropriate messaging points. I don't want to do this uh, all off the uh, off the cuff, mm -hmm. uh, and we will uh, get this out uh, on a video. Welcome any uh, any questions uh, right now on this. Um, our objective is to be uh, one very transparent with what's going on, and two. Mm -hmm. We also recognize that, uh, as one of the people who worked for me in Texas used to tell me, Dave, don't shoot the dealer. The, so these, this is the only game in town. So we, you know, we have to work with the FAA in order to get free as approved. So we have to maintain and be professional about this, and we will. Uh, it is, uh, that said, it is very frustrating. So we've got a couple questions. So does that mean they're capping it or only expecting 4,000? Great question. It's our uh, judgment that they are uh, estimating. And so usually in something like that, when they drop a number uh, like that, it, that's uh, that has everything to do with how many people they're putting on um, uh, manning the... Uh, uh, or staffing out the application process. Great I'm question. I'm sure somewhere along the line, somebody was like, "Oh, there's 2,500 or so AMA sites. We'll we'll toss in an extra thousand, fifteen hundred, just for good measure, and that's what we'll expect, right?" Yep. Right. That's what I'm betting. With no no yeah. further thought put to it. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, oh, you you run a couple couple of numbers, and it just does does not make sense. Yeah, and uh, uh, we're imagining lots more Frias than that. And even uh, Paul perfect. from STEM plus C was thinking like his goal someday is like every STEM program at every school across the country should have a have a Fria for their soccer and football fields so that they can go go fly without remote ID on their their little drones. And that's way more than four thousand just for the schools alone. Right. Well, and and even think about other organizations that do STEM, right? I mean, there's uh, church organizations. There's uh, um, what do you call them? Uh, educational oh. institutions. Well, obviously, I mean, educational institutions can apply for their own, right? But there's there's other organizations that don't fit into the mold that the FAA has prescribed, right? So, um, or you've got uh, kind of the what do you call them? The 
the centers where you can go and 3D print and solder Maker and stuff spaces. like that. There you go. Maker spaces. Thank you. Gosh. Um, that that would benefit from stuff like this. Uh, even just if you think about uh, uh, people who want to do outreach and, and utilize drones as a as a method to do that in terms of, you know, maybe uh, lower income areas or, you know, troubled youth or, or stuff like that. There's a ton of organizations that don't fit into that mold that would um, benefit from spaces like this. Yeah, they um, would, but the FAA wants every drone out there to have remote ID. So why would they want right. more Frias? Right. Well, right. And there, that was one of the statements is that, you know, we're not, we don't want to populate the United States with Frias. You know, we're trying to, you know, make sure, you know, make it that the remote ID is, uh, you know, ubiquitous. Uh, Mead has a good point. You know, 107 pilots are in a bit more of a jam, but I bet a lot of them are going to be having remote right, ID yeah, in name only. If if I understand or if I could take that uh, statement, and, and one of the things that I've been hearing quite a bit is uh, we bet that... Uh, Folks who are uh, flying 107 are going to put a broadcast module on and call it a day for the time being. And so if you're flying 107, you really have to have an aircraft that is standard remote ID, full stop. And that's as of, uh, well, September last year. So that's so let's say that your aircraft is uh, manufactured after September 16, 2022, what are you going to do? You're going to try to get it retrofitted to be standard remote ID. Let put it, so you put a broadcast module, and you know you've made a best effort to comply. I think that that's going to be a reasonable response to remote ID for Part 107. You know we're not necessarily advocating it, but I bet that that's and and is that that is not within the letter of the rule. But I bet that's a, a good common sense uh, path for people. Because it it demonstrates, you know, I'm flying 107. This is my business. I'm trying to make money here. I'm trying to trying to comply. And you're trying to be, uh, you know, the you know the right to be do the right thing. And by putting a module on, you know, to me, you've uh, I'm broadcasting. The only thing I'm not doing is you, know, you don't get a dynamic update of where I am, and uh, I don't have a uh, uh, a system that shuts my shuts off uh, the, uh, the the propulsion system if I have a failure uh, on takeoff only of the uh, remote ID system. Those are the two significant differences. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting. I mean, so uh, PB says Arizona Science Center is pretty focused on STEM, 100%. And, you know, may or may not fit within the education, but it's not really a school, right? It's It's more of a museum type thing. So... Uh, I wish they would do more stuff with FPV, uh, but they've got larger indoor spaces too that they could do uh, like whoops and stuff. Um, CM Reaper says, so at the rate that they may approve free is it seems like it will actually kill legal whoop events. So I hope not. I mean, I don't know if that makes sense because uh, a lot of whoop racing is inside where the FAA has no jurisdiction, right? So, also, whoops will be, most whoops will be under 250 as well. 250 grams, yeah. so well, yeah, I it wouldn't even qualify. proposing that it's a Part 107, it's not a just-for-fun thing, then... Yeah, right. right. Yeah. Hey, Alex, you, 
Do yeah. great, you know. So on the uh, to segue to some very positive and good news, um, do you have any uh, background, or can you address the multi GP announcement that they added? Beck, was it? Um, Street Street League, Tiny, Tiny Whoop Street League, and Street and Freedom Spec, and Freedom Spec. Yep. So, so we've partnered with all three of them, and they are official specs now of multi GP. So chapters can go in and. When they're hosting a race, they can say, oh, we're hosting a Tiny Whoop race or we're hosting a Freedom Spec race. And you're able to now filter races by their class um, or their spec. Mm -hmm. So you can search for open class races. You can search for Freedom Spec races. You can search for Street League. And so, yeah, that's all part of the MultiGP 2.0 website that we just released. So. yeah, I think that's I think it's great. I mean, to me, you know, when I think of the the analog uh, to car racing of spec racing and it allows people to uh, I, I arrive with something that's a little, uh, you know, it's sta- everyone else has, you know, pretty much the same uh, aircraft. It's the same vehicle and you're uh, really uh, basing the race on skill. So to me, I love the idea. And hopefully it helps uh, keep the cost down, and that's a positive. And it it's good for manufacturers as well, because they have you know they're like, oh, we're gonna glom onto this size and this uh, class of uh, uh, of uh, FPV drones. I I love it. So I think that was I was thrilled to see that, and also stoked for uh, uh, all three leagues. I think that's uh, you know it shows great leadership on each of the three uh, organizations that they've uh, gotten together with Multi GP. And props to uh, to multi GP for doing this. Yep. All right. So let's see. Uh, they're pushing people. Meat says they're pushing people into a corner. Um, that's. I mean, it's it's an interesting thought. Let's see. Um, they don't understand the scale or how we fly. Is racing considered commercial? Um, it is. A, a, and again, uh, Blunty said, I believe it's only if you get prizes. So. Generally, any type of compensation, and in sports, this is kind of the way it rolls down. Um, if you get compensation, you're considered a professional. Professional leads to commercial, right? So um, it's just a, a further extension of that. Um, getting a prize is fun. Racing for a prize is fun. The racing, thus, racing should be recreational, right? If recreational is defined as flying for fun, right, Dan? I agree. I, I 100% agree. I, I but, would extend, uh, you could extend that to getting paid to fly too. I, I, that's fun. It's getting, it's fun to get paid to fly. So therefore part 107 shouldn't be a thing. It's, it's all recreational. Right. You know, and I, I mean, here's that. the thing is, is going back to multi GP. I mean, a, again, another organization that would benefit massively from Frias, right? Not having to put extra gear on your racer, you know, always striving to have the, the lightest, most efficient, fastest, you know, aircraft. Oh, Alex, Alex went away. Um, but, uh, you know, how many different chapters across the country are there? for for multi-gp um you know it's it's a lot of times it's more than one per state or two per state um oftentimes it's many many per state so um yeah it's definitely uh i i think they're way off base with this and i think they're they're gonna be a little overwhelmed when they realize how many how many different frias are going to 
be applied for in four months. I mean, yeah, and we've we've also we we did discuss was one of the questions we had, and we've been banging on this point for years with the FAA. We need something for that supports multi GP. We need you to be able to set up to stand up an event, and we uh, Alex, we used your nominal time uh, scale of two weeks. Give you know we'll we'll give you two weeks notice to a location, but you know don't tell me ninety days that uh, we need to have ninety days to uh, because in all of the free application work, none of it supports a a temporary location for an FPV race, and so then we have uh, the FAA assures us that they are working on an exception for this. So Mr. Stevak says, is there a proposed or applied for FRIA map? That's a a good question. They said that there will be a database. And so I think it's going to be be an approved FRIA listing. Yeah, we don't know anything about where, where the applications are at or where, what locations have been applied for. All we will know is what has been approved. Right. Typical, we can't see what other applied. Applied Typical yeah. of the FAA. Yeah. No transparency. We can't see what each of us have applied right. for. So I can't see what Dan has applied for free as and Dan can't see what I have, even though we're all applying under FPBFC. Right. Which mm-hmm. we mentioned right. to the FAA <laughs> that that was an issue with their website. And yeah, maybe they took notes. Maybe they didn't. Yeah. So we we have follow ups with the uh, with the FAA to work on these points, but um, well, an- another uh, yeah, thing I'm... we could mention is that um, they ignored us, but we we did talk about Dave how our I well I don't know exactly where this idea came from, but you you've mentioned having one remote ID broadcast module, say covering an event, so everybody at that event doesn't have to have remote ID modules on their drones. If you've got one module. Broadcasting, say, hey, there's a drone in this area. That should be good enough for remote ID. Absolutely. When you think about the tiny, tiny volumetric space that uh, a race uh, fills up, that you know, that's uh, to me a brilliant idea. Bring along one remote ID broadcast module. We could even offer to use the existing notify and fly capability. So this weekend we'll be at this location, flying, and we'll be flying maybe 50 feet above the ground. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think there are some very good and common sense uh, suggestions. Uh, we're, we're not getting traction with the FAA just yet, but we will persevere. Mm-hmm. 100%. So, I was wondering definitely... total for FPVFC. Uh, we don't have a total just yet. For how many we've currently, yeah, we don't know how many yeah, i because guess we haven't talked to each other how many, to calculate how how many, many have we done. how many have we totally sub- submitted at this point and it's also i've done about five and i've done one okay. and so the system is broken yeah. and so they we know that there are several hundred that have been input many of them are garbage because they are not submitted from a cbo and that's one of the hard requirements of an approval is a free application must be submitted by a CBO. And we asked the FAA, would you please purge all applications so that you're not wasting your time reviewing applications that came from you don't know where? And so that, here's the thing with the, with the website. Dumb. 
Yeah, well, here's the thing with the website is anyone can go in and apply for a FRIA and just say that they have authorization from FPVFC, FTCA, AMA, and not have any relationship to that organization. So these are what Dave is calling. Could go to to the FAA website, create an account, and pick a spot in the United States and say, I want a FRIA there. They would have no clue. And, and so that's what Dave is, is, is effectively calling point. garbage ones because they're not coming right. from our organization specifically. They're coming from people who are claiming our organization. So, right. And this is happening with everybody's organization. So there needs to be a... If, if this is the route that the FAA is going to take for this approval process, then there needs to be some controls in place, essentially. So. Right. So what was interesting to me is you all, we all remember back in October we were complaining to the uh, early October we were complaining to the FAA that uh, you know where's the CBO process where's the FRIA process and they said oh well we've you know we're we're waiting until all of the uh, the IT uh, effort is uh, is complete you know we want to make sure that the application process is is locked down so uh, it's locked down all right so I would <laughs> Guys, for sharing the sausage process, uh, in the interest of transparency, we wanted to uh, to be open about uh, what what's happening. Uh, this is uh, not what. And so, if you log in, if you're an AMA member and you log into uh, what's going on there, this is a different message that you'll get. And uh, so, I can't. You know, we can't speak for the AMA, but uh, you know we can tell you that we were the ones who requested the meeting with the FAA. We got it set up, and this is uh, the situation that we're in right now. Yeah, I think people really yeah. want to hear and follow along with us on these behind-the-scenes things and see how things are going. Um, I think we can also sort of quickly share that the FAA did say that FRIAs are not intended for short-term events or individual use. Right. We don't agree with that. Right. But that's what we were told. Right. Well, here's the thing, right? So so ultimately, if if and I'm just gonna play devil's advocate here, I am a person who wants to I have a sizable yard, you know, I've got, you know, let's say two acres, and I want to make my two acres of my home a Freya. They're saying I can't because it's for a private individual. However, if you know, three people in my family fly FPV with me. Now we become a group, right? So, and that group is wanting to get together on my property to fly in a Freya. What's the difference? There is none. It's it's the number of people. Okay, so what is the mean number of people that the FAA is looking for to utilize a Freya? I mean, it, it's absolute insanity, and it's something that. And it, so just yeah, and thinking. so so the, the the questions that we're look we're seeing in the chat are excellent, and mm-hmm. there is a, a an important part of the the uh, free application that is uh, please state the purpose for need and a, a wonderful FAA generated phrase whatever that means. So what is the purpose for need? And there are no examples. There is no explanation of what that means. And so we're on our own to, and this is, I guess, like uh, early days in any waiver process. Is this, right. is this what you meant? Is this what you meant? Is this what you meant? So we will play whack-a-mole uh, until we figure out what the purpose of need is. Uh, we, we are 
they they did tell us that they would like uh, Frias to, as Dan said, to be for more than one individual and to be for a group. And, and so it's like, oh, an assembly. Great. You mean you're not going to tell us how many, but it's a group. Um, and, um, you know, so as Josh said, they're, they're not uh, looking favorably to uh, our backyards. And so, so, oh, there is also okay. a comment up here about uh, submitting bots and things like that. We have thought about that. Uh, we, our, our thought process, instead of just uh, inundating the system with bots and applications, our thought process may be to inundate uh, the system with legit uh, applications. We mm -hmm. may do that, and we may do that in conjunction with the FTCA. So... Please stand by on that request. And so <laughs> to us, the smart thing to do is um, we probably have a checklist coming soon. I'm looking at, <laughs> I'm looking to see if he looks up. Checklist coming soon. Alex? Alex? Yeah, that's you, brother. What? Do you, oh. do we have... <laughs> He's doing homework at the same time. Give him a break. No, I'm not doing homework this time. My internet is cutting in and out, so it's dropping. Good, good excuse. I love that. Mm -hmm. Nice. You sound yeah. great. It's usually that's usually me. <laughs> I'm sorry. Where I'm wondering if you um, are still working on a checklist for uh, Freya's. Yes. Excellent. So we will have a checklist. That uh, and uh, our good friends at FTCA already have a an app that allows you to collect the information that we know is requested. Uh, so you know we know what the questions are, but we think it's a bit of a waste of time to submit applications into a, a black hole that we know is not turned on yet. Mm -hmm. uh, the downside is that uh, the FAA has said, well, their current thinking is to. Uh, take all applications on a first-come, first-serve, which uh, I protested immediately, and I would like this on a rota of uh, one, you know, that they should go around the four CBOs and select from each, because the, uh, and certainly the AMA has been stuffing in applications uh, for a month. And to me, you know, it's, uh, there's, it's, how? How is this happening? But, yeah, that's where we are. Round robin would make much more sense. So, Meat has a question here. What are what exactly are Freya's intended for? <laughs> throwing so us a bone. the old aircraft. That's throwing what, us that a bone. Thinks. That's probably the most accurate thing, right? So yeah, fixed wing RC. Yeah, old large. Yeah, you know, I think you know classic AMA clubs. I think that's. Yeah, I, I think that, that was, was the their their concept behind it. And because if you remember in the initial rule, Afria was going to time out. They're going to do away with them four years. I forget. And they could all, there was a, a one year window where you could apply for Afria. Mm -hmm. Obviously, they've got that one figured out. They'll choke. They'll have created a choke point to uh, limit that number. But mm -hmm. there was a finite amount of time that you could uh, apply, and it could not be removed uh, renewed. So. That was the in, in the initial uh, uh, blush, or the, in the NPRM. In the final rule, of course, there's a renewal period, uh, and, of course, there is no uh, finite window of uh, application. Yeah. So, oh, definitely a frustrating thing. 
I think the FA is making this this thing go. I think my favorite, <laughs> honestly, my favorite was uh, Mr. Seabax. He says, and these people control our airspace. Oh, Lord. I'm with you, brother. I'm with you. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, yeah, is we, there we any will... requirement they actually approve any? Ooh, I'm not sure. Not, I'm not sure no, how to answer that. I don't that's think a that's good. I don't that's think that's guaranteed good, anywhere, right? That's a good question because one of the things that so we've been pushing for an SLA on the turnaround to approval, and explicitly the FAA came back and said there is no timeline. However, we think it could take as long as four months to turn around each application. So the quest, that's a very good question. Is there a guarantee or requirement that they ap- approve even one? And I think the answer is no. Wow. Good uh, question. No. DF- wow. DFW that, has a good a question, which, which goes towards, I don't know if we can talk about how much you want to talk about LEAP. But basically, DFW says, is there any expectation they'll actually enforce any violations? Yes, there is. Yeah. And we th- we feel that the FAA has been putting the appropriate pieces in place to ramp up enforcement. They needed a remote ID rule to know where we are. They needed CBOs to be able to articulate the safety guidelines, and they needed to have the mandated uh, test. So we have trust, CBOs, safety guidelines, remote ID, we're ready. And this is um, one of the reasons we are delighted to have uh, Rob come on uh, FPVFC, because uh, we know and we see uh, that there are uh, there's a significant headcount from the FAA staffing out LEAP, the Law Enforcement Assistance Program. So this tells us that, yeah, there is a, they, they are gearing up enforcement, and our objective is to uh, move out through the various commu- FPV communities, and let's get to know uh, public safety people so that there is a, a face under the goggles and, uh, and that we can help And one of the things that's real interesting with FPV and uh, uh, both uh, police and fire is the Avada has created another step function jump in the utilization of drones across uh, public safety uh, municipality offices. They they love them. They're very helpful. So that that to us gives this is a a wonderful entree for us to be uh, help and to uh, an opportunity to get to know public safety and because there are far more of us than there are of FAA staff. Yes. And the more local public uh, safety officers have experience or have seen or know someone in their department that's using something like an Avada, the the more they'll have a better idea of what we are doing. Hopefully that's a good thing. I can't imagine it would be. Yeah, however you want to say it, you know, control the narrative or educate the, you know, uh, the people or whatever, you know, you want to get ahead of it. So, you know, that was part of our point here is, you know, we want to let them know, like, these aren't dangerous and here's why and here's how they can be useful and here's what they do and here's the safety record and all those kind of things, right? Here's what's actually required. 
before we get the other side of it where, hey, these are bad and here's the restrictions and here's why you should stop them and that sort of thing, right? Big I knew we'd get a Chinese balloon just, coming that's in there. That's the second one. <laughs> just call your quad a Chinese balloon. You can fly anywhere. <laughs> Until you get over the ocean, then they'll shoot you. Yeah, don't, well, don't go over the ocean. Isn't that what DJI products are? Uh, <laughs> you flying in Class A, right, Alex? Oh, my word. <laughs> oh, that was epic. Good, oh, good job. Dear. Good job. <laughs> But yes, me education is is how you fight. Yes, right, 100%. right, and so and we'll use we'll use our reach, and uh, we're in, in lockstep on this concept with FTCA. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, push this with uh, STEM as well. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Dan, I interrupted. I just going to say, I think this is not a Freya question exactly, but uh, someone over on YouTube uh, was asking that they noticed in the Before You Fly app they expanded the restriction radius. Anyone aware of that and why? Restriction no. radius for, I'm assuming, Super Bowl? I'm not sure or what you mean by control, restriction radius. Controlled airspace in general? Because they did that a couple of years ago where it used to show slightly smaller, but then they increased it just a little bit um, for that perimeter mm. or, or for the, most of the borders of airports or for the controlled airspace. But that was a few years ago. I don't know of anything recent. Yeah, I'm not sure. It may, maybe it's just one of the layers that they have turned on or off. Well, here, Could I'll, I'll pull up. So I've, got, I've got Before You Fly pulled up here. Um, let's see. So while we're waiting, one, certainly one of the things that... Um, so the authors, um, to my knowledge, of Before You Fly are Loft. Those are Loft developers. Mm-hmm. Which is yet another reason why we advocate using Aloft because these are uh, uh, people that allow Aloft use uh, for recreational use for free. And so, and they, and the company spends energy and effort to help recreational uh, UAS. So that's why we're very pro Aloft. And one of the capabilities in there is um, notify and fly, which we think we can use. They did reply in the YouTube chat that they know i noticed six months ago i park a park i visit is now under restriction and wasn't six months ago okay so, so that's added that's, could be a local thing so like a, a couple, like couple a different things fly ordinance could yeah. a couple things could have happened number one they usually update um people can uh not people uh people or organizations that operate uh any kind of air Air park, airport, uh, helipad, anything like that can submit their information to the FAA on um, in, in terms of let me zoom in here. This, this is an easier way to do it, uh, actually. Uh, sorry. On restrictions around. Yep, 100%. And this is also so, where the Frias will eventually show up, according to the mm-hmm. FAA. So I'm going to zoom into local here because it's easier for me to talk about this. So um, every so often, so right here in the center of this bow tie here is um, Sky Harbor International. This is our main uh, airport, our international airport, essentially, um, for uh, the Phoenix area. 
and you can see these squares they go from zero right at the ends of the runway and right alongside all the way up to 100 200 300 and eventually 400 depending on which side um, and based on approaches and exits from the airport so every i think it's what was it day 41 42 days uh they update uh the uas 50, facility, 56 right? 56 days thank you so approximately every two months um with new information so um uh so you can see here the congestion that is uh the phoenix market uh in terms of airspace uh and you can effectively fly in any of the spaces that aren't covered by one of these grids. Um, now, sometimes an airport will ask for an extension to kind of grow this radius, depending on what the FAA calls need, that, that uh, arbitrary uh, ask that they <laughs> request. So, um, and it may be that they need more space for a specific type of airplane that's gonna be landing there or whatnot. So. Um, that may be why your restriction area increased. Um, so just think about it from that perspective. So, um, yeah. Now, on top of all that, we can go back into, uh, sorry, aloft. Oh, no, I have it here. Um, uh, so you can kind of see that now during the Super Bowl, the hot mess of what Phoenix will be. <laughs> Just don't. Yeah, just don't. <laughs> just don't fly. <laughs> if you're in Apache Junction or Santan Valley, you're good. <laughs> but otherwise, this is going to be a uh, an interesting weekend. Yeah, that's so. like any time the president is out of... That looks like D.C. Yeah, out of their normal right. area. They like go the, visit somewhere. Like the a huge TFR. Like the FRZ. Or that's just yeah, permanent and, by me. <laughs> and also, we know that the Super Bowl is a uh, a test uh, location, and so there are there will be, as there have been in past Super Bowls, a multitude of counter UAS technologies okay. at work, and there will be a multitude of federal officers around. So it's just 100%. like one hundred percent. So Josh, yeah. you should have talked to somebody ahead of time and conducted a test and flew in your near your house and said okay can you see if this drone's flying can you detect it <laughs> can you see me now <laughs> i'm in the tfr can you find me a little play yeah, a little yeah. game with the law enforcement as long as you plan so, ahead of time i spy a little <laughs> That's right. Right. so our, our newest uh uh fpvfc member rob is uh uh, works with a number of the large uh, sports stadia uh, in the wonderful state of Texas. And uh, so he's got a lot of insight into uh, COAs and, uh, and uh, TFRs uh, with that with sports activities. So uh, and as he's able to join us, he's uh, still on uh, shifts. Uh, so that's why he's not here uh, right now. Uh, but he's now managing a uh, that's his full time job with uh, uh, with the force that he works on is managing a fleet of uh, Drone pilots. So great addition to the team. Yep, hundred percent. All right. So have we have we bored you enough? Have we have we have we oh, great. Uh, answered? We've had some great of your questions? great questions and an yes. obvious demonstration of a great sense of humor. Oh, I'm sure 100%. we can bore them some more. I've got at least one one way to do that. Yeah, what do you got? <laughs> uh 
It was last Besides week. Besides making them read regulations. It was last <laughs> week. Uh, I can throw tons of acronyms at them. We had another meeting, this time with NASA, about the USASRS. So for those who don't know, NASA has this accident reporting system, basically. And they are encouraging everybody who flies a drone that if you have any kind of incident, that you should be filling out this gigantic, extremely dull and very boring form. So they had a meeting with us where we tried to explain a little bit about who we are, what FPV is, what FPV pilots do, why there's no way any of us are ever going to fill out that form, and maybe how they could make it better so that it is actually slightly useful for us. Is that somewhat accurate, Dave? Yes, and you would think that they did not really need to ask these questions of us in as much as I led a ad hoc committee with the director of uh, uh, from NASA of uh, the UASASRS uh, team. So, but uh, we did. We went through that, uh, and uh, we will try to uh, uh, find uh, a little pony uh, uh, prancing around uh, in, this, uh, in this environment. I believe um, we, we taught them a thing or two about what FPV is during the meeting. I hope so. And uh, anyone who has read our safety guidelines will note that uh, we uh, pointed out that we think a great way to report incidents because it was one of the requirements of the safety guidelines that we described safety incident reporting is to utilize the NASA UAS ASRS. However, we want to utilize it as a, a series of best practices focusing on the three areas where we feel there is an important uh, improvement to be made with recreational propeller safety, battery safety, and airspace authorization. And so that's the tack. And, and we stipulated that we, we feel it's really imperative uh, to get something that's usable. As Dan said, it's, uh, it takes about a half hour to fill out one of these forms. So I broke a propeller. You know, you can spend a half hour filling in the form. No, 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 no. So like I, in, in the committee that I ran... Packs. We agree. We agreed that uh, uh, to identify only those data elements that are essential, and that took eighty-nine uh, percent of the uh, check boxes and fill-ins of the of the form out uh, for recreational. So we want to put that on a mobile app, feed it into something, uh, bolt it onto something like a loft, so most of the information is there, and then so reporting something that's useful that could be a best practice becomes as painless as possible. Yeah, I had to point out to them, uh, one of their slides, I forget, they had to say 10 bullet points why you would fill out this form. And uh, as they were going down the list, it's like almost every one of those, like I've, I meet that requirement on every flight. You know, like, whether it was you had an incident, like you hit the ground or bent a propeller or you were breaking a rule, I mean like flying FPV without a spotter with you, or flying in high winds or extreme weather conditions or like I forget what all of those points were, but I was just like down the list like, yep, yep, yep. That's why I fly. That's why I go out and fly. That's what I do every time. Uh, I'd be just yep. like filling out totally these forms right. nonstop. Right. And they were they were also pushing that if you fill out one of these forms and you have a uh, an infraction, you get immunity uh, from the enforcement. And that is blatantly not the case. And so as in any other situation, this is sleeves out of the FAA's vest. As in any other situation, the FAA has at their discretion the ability to not uh, not 
fine us uh, for an infraction. And so in crewed aircraft, this is a big deal. And so airline pilots have uh, done this, and the uh, with the issue they were trying to resolve was lots of fatalities. And so it's it's helped. And so in as much as we're not trying to solve a lots of fatalities issue, what we're going after is best practices, props, batteries, airspace authorization. So that's a and another tidbit of information is the we've been talking about the FCC notice for public rulemaking and this is an important uh, one. This is the allocation of protected spectrum for uh, UAS and it was finally released yesterday and so there are two uh, dates uh, in it. Uh, and they're not calling it an NPRM, so we'll see what sort of shenanigans they're pulling. I need to read this uh, new uh, document and uh, also have, uh, we have at least one company that has agreed to talk to us uh, who has some extremely uh, bright people who are uh, working on this uh, NPRM. So we hope oh. to take advantage of uh, industry smarts on the on the private sector side. So if they're not calling it an NPRM, are they actually accepting comments on it? They are. There are two dates mm -hmm. in it that uh, they are accepting comments. One of those dates is in March. I think 7 March. Okay. So not a lot of time. That's the first date. Then the other one is, uh, I want to say, 60 days from yesterday. But I, I need to circle back on that. Been a little, been a little uh, busy right, finish, wrapping up uh, ACK tasking groups 14 and 15. Got to read at least multiple pages a day to meet that deadline. <laughs> That's right. I mean, you know, FAA's, you know, four months, uh, you know, they've got themselves. Uh, well, I no mean, it's all, it's all, you know, par for the course for them. Four months, you know, 90 days for, That's right. for a waiver process, 10 years for 107. I mean, it's. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't want that brain job. hurt. Yeah. Okay, so that's that's all I had. Thank you for uh, for those couple of additional topics. All right, any round the room real quick. Anybody else have anything to wrap us up on? Nope. Dan, good. Blunty, good. All right. Well, we'll see you again in another two weeks. Um, once we have uh, some place for you guys to go on kind of form letters for UAS reauthorization, FCC. Um, we will point you in the right direction through Discord, Facebook, um, and uh, right. kind of push that stuff out. And then also look out for the video uh, for FPVFC and FTCA, where we're talking a little bit more about uh, uh, Korea meeting, and right? the FAA. Yep, 100%. So uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us tonight. Thank you for the, the comedy gold. Love it. And uh, thank you for the great questions. Uh, keep it up, and we'll see you again in a couple of weeks, all right? Have a good night. Excellent. Thank you.